Welcome on, thank you for tuning in to the Bad on Braves FC podcast, the podcast focusing all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the United States. My name is Jose Omania, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is our co-host and recovered fellow Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? Oh man, I'm feeling a lot more better than I was earlier this week. I got my voice back. Contrary to the rumors that are greatly falsified me and you are not splitting up and i'm not going to have my own show on fox sports one called curb your enthusiasm on this take if fox sports one picked you up we have a serious problem in our hands because you have (laughs) Uh, that's all i'll say and a show with you and Alexa lalas might be intriguing but i give it one episode before sledgehammer comes out and that is alexi lalas chasing you (laughs) Oh, man, it would be more entertaining than everything that happened around U.S. soccer. But we'll get to that eventually. Yeah. Well, before we talk about what happened yesterday with U.S. soccer, we have some updates with D.C. United to talk to, especially in their pursuit for Belgian-based defender Brendan Hines-Ike. It was originally reported last week by the Washington Post, and now it's being confirmed that D.C. United is likely to acquire the defender and he is set to maybe even be a starter on the team as he just arrived in Washington, D.C. this weekend and has been quarantining uh, before he starts his medical and fitness test. Heinz Ike, who is 26, has been playing overseas for five years in Sweden and in Belgium since the summer of 2018. Uh, Hernan Lozada, DC United's new head coach, and a couple of the new assistant, Nicolas Frutos, are familiar with Heinz Ike. They both coached him in Belgium. He's set to join the club as part of a long season loan, but DC will have the opportunity to convert it as a permanent transfer. Ike, who is a Denver native, Heinz Ike, who is a Denver native, He's a natural center back who can play left back or right back if Losada institutes a three-man back line. And had he been, when we don't know right now for sure if Losada is going to play with a three-man back as he's done in the past or stick with a four-man back. Um, He was drafted by Montreal, but he elected to play overseas. Montreal no longer owns his MLS rights. Thus, he will be coming in again, United not having to pay the MLS club for any uh, rights fees or anything of that nature. Mario, what are your thoughts on this potential acquisition? Obviously, we don't keep our eyes and ears to the Belgian-Swedish League, but we talked about this team's lack of depth in the defensive back roles. How do you feel the club is addressing that lack of depth now? Um. I think it's a step in the right direction, especially considering that this guy is a natural center back. And especially considering that right now Steve Byrne bombs out with an injury and Donovan Pines being called up to the to the uh, Olympic squad, not knowing how long he'll probably be out if the US may, USM team makes it to the Olympics. So you get that natural replacement. And on top of that, it's kind of like acquiring a Swiss Army knife on defense because he could play multiple roles. So it kind of balances out. You address several needs in one player. It's a step in the right direction, but I think a couple more pieces here and there would help, will help you on the long run defensively. Yeah, I totally forgot about Birnbaum possibly being out for the first set of matches because of his sur- off-season surgery. In any event, yeah, I agree with you. Depth is just key with this team. It's been lacking it for years on end, in my opinion. Um, it needs it. it. It certainly needs more depth and more talent. Uh, I remember, maybe you don't recall, maybe you do recall this. There were one of the games last year where uh, Briant clearly hated the defensive. Uh, strategy that Ben Olsen put up. He's just like, we need help. <laughs> and then he was, he I, was I just, mean, when your defensive strategy include playing Russell Kadaus and center back, yeah, you need the help. So adding him on board, Michael DeShields, who was drafted and signed by DC United from Wake Forest, uh, the local from Baltimore, 
I, I'm glad that they are finally, for years on end, addressing some of the problems the team has had in terms of depth. And I, it, it could only be a group, a positive from here. I, I, this guy's credentials, you know, we don't, again, we don't watch much. Uh, but in Belgium, he made 38 league starts in two and a half seasons, plus seven in the playoffs. He has started this season eight of 29 games and has been an unused sub for 11. So he's going to be coming in fresh. Uh, he's only played one Belgian Cup match. But he has a lot of European experience in, it, in European competitions. He's appeared in 123 match His whole European career, excuse me, he's appeared in 123 matches and has 106 starts. So this is a guy that when he gets his ability to start matches, he stays there in the long run. Um, I'm interested to see who he is. And one question for you is, will, when everyone is healthy, will he be the guy to start, you think? Or do you think, you know, he's going to have to battle out with some guys or is someone the odd man out? Uh, right now, that's kind of hard to say, especially considering that the season hasn't started yet. Um, we shall see. I think it, it it would go down to the progression of the season if he does, and to see how well he plays and how well he gels with the team and the group around him, and just to see how other players are performing. Maybe Bert, maybe they're in those. In those batches, some of the center backs, probably Breon and Birnbaum, I'm not, I don't mean to single them out there. Maybe they have a lack of like a lack of uh, a lack of good performances for for better use of better term. Maybe he could take advantage and then lock up the center back starting spot. Or maybe he could come in as a sub or be a, or be a number two option. So again, it's one of those weird questions that you gotta ask. Gotta ask when it comes to the center back position, but again, I think he'll be fine considering he can play other positions in defense. So it's kind of hard to say who's going to be the odd man out if uh, when it, it uh, this early, especially considering that the season hasn't started yet. But I think uh, going further down the line, just to see on individual performances from all the center backs, Burnbaum, Pines, and uh, Briant, we'll, we'll see how they, how this goes. Yeah, and you know, I'm just I pulled up real quickly United's you know, who's who's already on the books as a United player right now. We have Burnbaum, Briant as we spoke about, who's thirty five. We all forget how old Briant is. And so this is a reminder, just like how last season it kinda looked like it was Donovan's year to shine and then Briant just came in and was like, Nope, I'm still good. Uh so uh, and he's just he's been a reliable center back. So I, I look at Briant's age and worry about that, obviously. And then we as mentioned earlier, Michael DeShields, Jacob Green, who is the um, young homegrown player who signed in December. Uh, they still have Joseph Mora coming back. They re-signed Chris Dewey Atsum. You have Donovan Pines, and we'll get in a second of who's going to be a trialist during during the. Uh, training camp so United has more options than before and if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty if you really want to go that route they can also play Kevin Paredes uh, he could play that role if necessary too so United unlike years prior look to have before the season starts a core a like a core lineup of defenders where beforehand you'd probably be a little nervous now you see they've acquired depth and have gotten younger, even though their two top center backs are 30 and 35 years old. Right, but we shall see. I mean, who who knows? Center back is one of center backs is one of those positions where longevity is also a factor. So you can, so it's not like saying like a midfielder, the younger the better. Sometimes experience helps in center. It helps you in the center in the center back role. It, that's why you see a lot of center backs play a long time, such as Carlos Puyol. Carlos Puyol is your best example of that, and Rafa Marquez. Again, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent there, but you know it's going it's going to be interesting to see. And in some cases, being older is not a disadvantage in this <laughs> position. So 
this should be fun. This shall be fun to watch and interesting to see how this plays out in the center back role as the season progresses. Most definitely. And we, and again, some of these guys may be shifted down. Uh, this year, we do know that the USL will operate and Loudoun United will be available. So we should see if in the future, some guys, maybe the Shields or Jacob Green go down to Loudoun. Uh, but time will tell uh, where these guys stack up. Uh, opening training starts this week. And... Um, yeah, more, move, more speaking of more players in depth, uh, a report coming out of Bel- uh, Bulgaria uh, says DC United's interested in a f- forward Nigel Robetha. I may have butchered that, but he's a Dutch forward <laughs> who plays uh, in the first division of Bulgaria and is eligible for the Curacao national team. This report has been confirmed by Paul Maurer say the talks are serious, but an offer would need to be $1.2 million for the deal to happen. Robeta, who just turned 23, uh, has pro- progressed through the uh, Feyenoord uh, Academy before signing professionally in 2015. He moved to the Dutch second division where he scored 12 goals in 42 matches. And he's now, and since 2009, he's at his current club, which I will attempt not to butcher. <laughs> Mario, what is, say it again? Levski Sofia. Sure. Um, while he, Robethia does not fall under the new initiative MLS has been trying to get teams to purchase players under the age of 22, he would th- be required to be a young DP if signed, obviously, for that price tag at one, of over a million dollars. He would be required to be at that number. Um, but, Mario, what are your thoughts on this possible acquisition at the striker role? Speaking of a position that needs depth, needs addressing depth for DC United, uh, I think it's a good thing. It's interesting that they gone to the, that they went to Bulgaria. If the reports are true, to go find a striker again, we're not very well versed in the Bulgarian league, so I don't know much about about Levski Sofia. I'm surprised I could somewhat pronounce the name correctly. A little better uh, than me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good in the fact that you're addressing that depth issue when it comes to the forward line. And it also gives your forwards a a little bit of a semblance of competition, in particular speaking to Ola Kamara and Eric Sorga, who are your two main strikers for for the most part. It it gives them a little more competition to see who fights for those starting roles in in forward, going forward as the season progresses. One of the concerning factors if you're DC United has to be Pariola, and we'll get to him in a second. He's on loan. You have you have to address that missing piece. Uh, they did acquire Adrian Perez uh, from LAFC during the offseason. But out of all the strikers that were on the team last year, technically you just have Eric Sorga back. Is the last year of his contract because remember he was traded midseason to United and Ola Kamara, Ola Kamara, which by the way, if you if you want some breaking news, DC United does not have Ola Kamara listed anymore as a designated player, so that should tell you something interesting or no what could happen, buddy. There. So, and plus he's thirty one, so Jesus Louise, um, but. You know, just remembering and researching what Losada has done in the past, he likes to play with a two-striker role, which benefits Jordi Reyna. He said that Jordi Reyna, in his introductory press conference, him and Edison Flores will be key players for his, you know, his system going forward. So this has got to be a shot at Ola Kamara, who you would think would be paired up up top next to Jordi Reyna if you're going to play a two-striker system, if Jordi wants to be that withdrawn forward, because that's where he's benefited the most. If this Robetha guy could come in and be more accurate, take more shots, then great. But just by reading his statistics, which is a bad thing to do in soccer, but just by reading his statistics, this is a guy who averages less than a goal 
half of his games, he may be un. There's talk about there's too much of this like similar pieces with DC United. There's a lot of guys who could play number ten, who could play winger, or those those past seasons where we had like twelve wingers on the team. You know, twelve you wingers don't... and no center midfielders. That that's what it's been like. And I think what we what we go down to is you buy the same or the similar player. And I feel like this team needs more of a target striker than they do an actual forward that can play withdrawn as a winger. Yeah, that's my point with this Robetha guy. Just by looking at the statistics, he looks more of like like Jordi Reyna, where he's more comfortable maybe as an 11, not being that lead number nine role. And so when you, like you said, you want a guy who's going to be in there, who's going to be your reliable person on corner kicks. The guy, you give the ball, he can hold up the ball to bring in other midfielders in attack and be the main reliable goal scorer. This guy would have to come in gangbusters off the break, especially to show United's got a weird track record of, you know, in this 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 current these past two decades of getting strikers and them not meeting matching their potential and their price. You have strikers like Gusano Emilio who do for the first two seasons and then flame out. And then you got guys like Danny Alsop who couldn't hit a net to save his life. And, and and then you have other guys that just don't pan out. So this is one of those where I look at it. The guy currently, uh, as of last Saturday, excuse me, as of last Saturday, 33 games in all competitions for Sofia and has 13 goals. Uh, okay, and that's in his career with Sofia, including two in his last 14 matches for them. Um I would like to, to prove me wrong. Like, make this worth the two, the one over one million dollar price tag. United hasn't done a good job of that since probably zero, and so <laughs> that's kind of that's that's where I look at it. Is like who's going to be up there? And we had this similar problem when Wayne was here. We we had it before Wayne was here, and I'm just curious. They're just getting another withdrawn forward type and not a lead man. Right, and that 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 could that's led to some problems in the scoring department. So you gotta, I think they don't. I feel like DC United doesn't do their research it, enough research when it comes to finding a proper striker. And so, and so he either or again, this is more my feeling more than anything else. And so any anything else, like they may think this guy pans out, but they don't turn out panning out. Like you said, Danny Alsop couldn't hit the target to save his own life. And then, you know, you had guys like Hamdi Salihi that was on track to his annual goal score, his goal scoring tallies every year, but they ended up not keeping him. And then, you know, you had Patrick Mullins who played, who was scoring gangbusters for his first couple of months as a DC United player. And then you ended up not using him properly. So. Who knows? It's one of those things that I think DC United needs to work out. Well, maybe they can prove us wrong with Nigel Robertha coming to to the team. But it's a wait-and-see proposition, to be honest with you. Agreed, agreed. And we'll see what happens. If they, if this transfer rumor is even true, uh, you know, tra- uh, training camp starts this week uh, in Audi Field. And joining DC United there will be two former players who are from the DC area. You have uh, Andy Nahar, which we spoke about in pre- previous podcasts, as who turns 28, and then Rodney Wallace, who will be turning 32. He'll be uh, coming back from a long-term injury as well. So United's acquiring depth pieces as well as bringing returning old names that could maybe benefit them. On the lines, so we'll be interested to see there. But before we move on to other topics, uh, just to stay on this uh, acquisition slash, you know, heading into preseason mode. Uh, congratulations go to Donovan Pines who who received who earned a call up to the preliminary Olympic squad uh, for the U23 representing the United States. Concacaf released its preliminary rosters recently. And includes Donovan Pines as one of the center backs. Uh, they will play 
if he selected to join the 23 or 20 people uh, to represent the U23s, they will participate in the qualifying tournament in Guadalajara, Mexico next month. Mario, what are your thoughts on Diamond Pines seemingly after two good to progressive seasons finally getting a shout out with the U.S. men's national team? Uh, first off, congratulations are in order for him making it to the preliminary group of players that are being that are being called up to the U23s for this for the Olympic qualifiers in Guadalajara, or as Lou Dobbs calls it, Guadalajara. Uh, I think it's well-deserved. Donovan Pides has played well the last two seasons. I think last season was one of his better seasons, even though it was a down year for most defenders on this team. But he played well enough, and he showed, he showed that, A, I could play with the U.S. national team. I, I'm capable of making it to the next level. So it's a step in the right direction, and Again, I wish him all luck in the world. Yeah, he'll be there with, uh, you know, Jason Christ, who's the coach of the team. One thing that Jason Christ does like is center backs that know how to start offenses from the back. And that's Donovan Pond's MO since he was at the University of Maryland. So I think I agree with you. It's about time. The U.S. men's national team in general needs a, to have a whole diverse set of center backs, which they sorely lack. They need center backs who could just sit back and defend, and they need guys that can play 1v1 with the – who can stop 1v1s, and then they need center backs that can start up attacks or start up a counterattack. And I think Donovan's got all the skills for those uh, traits. So we – hopefully he will be representing the U.S. and obviously D.C., at the Olympics, and hopefully he gets called up for this per- for this qualifying tournament. And God, could they just qualify? I only ask, can you qualify the Olympics? I'm not asking. They can go 0-3 in the Olympics, even though that would piss me off even more. But just, just get there. Make me forget what happened last time. Yes, I remember, Bill. I remember... <laughs> I remember the Salvadorian failure. And so... Oh, I, uh, we, we never let Sean Johnson forget it. <laughs> yeah. I, I never let Bill or Sean Johnson forget it because that should have been Bill Hamid in it. So... I never let him forget about the Canada game, the game prior to that, Bill. Uh, Bill, do you remember? So, so I just, just... Just get in there, qualify, event. Just get in, you know... You get it, it done. Get it done. Just get it done. Anyway, speaking of getting it done, someone who's getting it done right now is Pariola, who's trying to earn more playing time with Swansea City. He is currently on loan with these, the championship side in England. He just spoke to the Washington Post uh, a day ago, and Paul kind of let his feelings out, you know, when he talked about transitioning you know, he only had two days from <laughs> from leaving D.C., getting to London, taking the COVID and fitness test. And boom, he was already in a match against Manchester City. Um, when asked about his him being there, he said, quote, to be here. I want to play. I want to help my team get promoted. I want to be a part in it. It's a matter of when and where and how I do with these opportunities. Just a reminder, Paul is currently on loan with Swansea until May. There is no option in his con. There is no option uh, for Swansea to buy out his contract, but obviously, same ownership group owns DC, owns Swansea, and if they get promoted, they may want to add additional depth when asked about that situation he said it's definitely a challenge a challenging time because you you are somewhere else when you know it's not forever you have to dive in and believe and focus on what you can control he originally wasn't the only usmt uh, player there is jordan morris from seattle was also on a loan to, to Swansea at the time, but he is time cut short recently due to an ACL tear. Before we go any further, uh, you know, we do know that Paul is uh, in Swansea with his girlfriend, uh, but that he has had conversations and he has had conversations with 
the new head coach Hernando Sada before heading out to Swansea. Mario, what are your thoughts on Paul Ariola's words in this one-on-one interview with uh, the Washington Post? Uh, it gives a pretty unique pro- uh, insight onto what what he's dealing with right, what he's going through right now, playing at Swansea, and just what you call a brand new adventure in a brand new league and just getting adjusted to life in a brand in a in a new continent essentially well actually yeah in a new continent i don't know why i said essentially there but he's in a new <laughs> continent uh and just be just talking about how he got just thrusted like hey go take your covid test take a fitness test you're going to swansea in two days and next thing you know you're debuting against pep guardiola and the best team in the Premier League right now, <laughs> and that marvelous turtleneck of his right in front of your face, uh, it gives a unique perspective. And I, I think I think I like the honesty that he spoke with to to the Washington Post, in particular to Stephen Goff, who wrote this story, and, and just giving you insight on what it's like to be to be in a, to be in Swansea, play in a new league, and just go through the trials and tribulations of growing pains of playing in a new, in a new country. Right. Since the loan was confirmed, you know, at February 1st, he's only played two matches, which it's got to be eating him up because remember we had this discussion when the loan was announced and earlier uh, after the season ended, how much of this loan was to keep him fresh after, you know, going so hard Boss the wall to get back to help DC United get in the playoff push. So, you know, he wants to play and it's got to suck, you know, reading these quotes and hearing him basically say, put me in coach. Now, obviously there's players in front of him. The post mentioned he'd be perfect for a, a right, a right back role, but technically someone else already has that role. Who's been the starter there for a couple of years. So it sucks in that front. But hopefully he continues, you know, just pushing through um, and trying to show himself. If I'm Swansea, you know, one of the things that's recently happened for them is lack of of attacking depth, especially now that Jordan Morris is out. You know, Ben tried it for a couple of games and it was on and off. I wouldn't mind trying him at attack, I, at least a striker role just to see if he could do it in that kind of level yes mls (laughs) comparing mls versus you know to the championship is and he kind of mentions this too that it's much uh, more physical than mls even though mls is considered one of the most physical leagues in the world um i would just want to see him more in attack i think swansea when i saw them against that against that man city they were just so defensive oriented that when they needed to attack, they, it felt like they didn't know how until, you know, and funny enough, who gave the pass for that goal? It was Barriola. So <laughs> who gave the assist for the goal? So, I mean, I'd be interested to see uh, what happens for the rest of the season. Obviously there's DC United fans watching intensely, seeing that he comes out healthy if he does come back, um, do you expect him to fit back in in May to whatever Losada's system if he's back with DC in May? Um, in a way, but I think you'd have to work him into the system first. But depending what Losada's system of play is going to be going forward at that particular time, and also depends on what your what the needs and wants are for that system. So I think they'll work him into the system if he returns back in May, but it it probably it would be somewhat fast, but it'll be gra- it would be gradual to 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 fit him into that system. Right, I, it'd be cons- I'd be you know you mentioned in the past that look at the names they have. They had Assad. They have Edison Flores. They have um, multiple guys who could play the winger role. Um, and you have multiple guys who could all, who are better at center center midfielder roles. So it'd be good to see if who's slotted into that position when he's not there, and if it's a person who can overtake them. For example, 
this is no disrespect to the people coming in or currently at the club, but if Andy Nahar is starting in the right in the right midfielder role and he's doing okay but decently, when Paul comes back, Paul's playing. He's starting. I don't know. <laughs> like, Paul's starting. Hell, Paul was going to be a starter last season until the ACL injury. <laughs> so, I, I just feel like he's one of those dynamics midfielder slash strikers who can start almost any game. And you would have to get a sizable European first division top 10 player. Not top 10 in terms of, like, you know, badasses. I'm talking about top ten in the table. One of those type of players. They, you know, their their teams are always in the top ten in the table. You know, that kind of player coming to DC United would overtake Paul. But if you know, no disrespect to Andy or Edison. Maybe Edison's the only guy I think who would stay in that right that winger role aside from Paul. But like I said earlier, Paul has drifted in the middle before, so. I feel like Losada has a, enough midfielder depth that he can compensate for Ariola being gone. But if Ariola comes back, <laughs> these jokers can move to the side. I'm putting that guy back on the field. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see. Or maybe and maybe it works out for Paul in, in the long run. It's long run in Swansea playing him more as a forward. He, he's got the pace to do it. So, But other than that... Yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting, but I, I think he will be end up being a starter when he comes back to D.C. in May. Yeah, and we'll keep an eye on him. Uh, we could watch Swansea games on ESPN+, Plus, so we'll keep an eye on him <laughs> as all the other D.C. United fans have uh, this year. Um, lastly, we're going to take this piecemeal because it's just a lot of I think I could say this with all the kindness. It's a lot of crap here, and we're talking about the U.S. Soccer Annual General Meeting that happened Saturday. We'll start with the baby steps. So the the council, which U.S. Soccer is devised by the Athletic Council, each state's association member, uh, basic leadership, and U.S. Soccer's leadership, they vote for decisions that are made. If we remember, correct me if I'm wrong, it was three or four years ago. They had the presidential run, and that was a mess that we don't need to relitigate. But um, they had the, this year, they were looking for the new vice president, um, as well as uh, repealing some of the rules that were in the in the books for U.S. soccer in the past. One of those it was repealing a policy that allows – that that requires all athletes representing the U.S. soccer uh, that they have to stand for the national anthem. The board repealed the, the policy back in June, but they needed a vote to make it official. It was voted a grand majority, 71% of the el those who were eligible to vote, voted to repeal the policy. We'll start there. Mario, what are your thoughts of them finally killing this policy not going to ban or punish players who who kneel during the national anthem. Uh, it's a good thing, uh, mainly because it. I, I can't believe we're going to get a little political here. But, you know, either in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, it gives you, you know, the freedom of expressing yourself. So it gives you that freedom of expression to see how you how you honor the, the national anthem or how, how would you protest certain issues. So it's it's a good thing, and you not getting punished for it is even better. It's just ba it's just basic. It's just being a basic, decent human being, like not just to pretty much say, "Hey, we're not gonna punish you for for kneeling during the national anthem." If you have, you can also have this. If you also can stand, you can stand, you can kneel, do whatever you want during the national anthem. So it's it's a good thing. I know some people don't see it that way, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a it's a good thing to see how people want to either make a statement or be patriotic all in their own way. Yeah. When it comes to the national anthem situation, look, first off, we all forgot, like fools, what the original intent was. It was to 
it was Colin Kaepernick's decision that he worked out with a teammate of his who was a military service member as a respectful way to show protest against the police who's, who statistically have been proven to discriminate African-Americans more than any other race in the United States, any other ethnicity in the United States. They have discriminated African-Americans more than anybody in this country. Current, we live in Prince George's County where they're going through a rough <laughs> investigation about how the police treated their own black officers. So that's the type of treatment African-Americans have been receiving by the police when they are being even attacked by one of their own. That's the kind of abuse they've been dealing with in terms of the police. But that was the original intent by Colin Kaepernick. It has devolved into this thing and where it look, I'll be honest. I watched the She Believes Cup last week and the week before expecting to see good soccer, but also to see players in solidarity. Look, man, it was really weird seeing nine or eight players kneeling in respect of their teammates. And then you just have random people here, there standing to the point where in the last game, they were all standing. And if you haven't, I'd go look up the quote uh, quotes from the black players after the game, basically saying, look, we're just going to keep everything behind the scenes at this point. Because, to, and look, I say it as a minority, it just got embarrassing because the message was lost. And I think that's the point that I, the message has been lost because we're not paying attention to what the message of respecting black bodies and black people in general, which was the original message. We're out here counting who who hasn't stood, who has stood, why they're not standing, do they are they supportive of their teammates? US soccer should not have gotten themselves into this mess and back in twenty seventeen is honestly one of the reasons why the past ownership of the Washington Spirit is no longer the 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 top majority ownership of that club because it also tried to play itself in this flag situation. Also, this was during an era of this country where we politicized everything. Maybe if we don't put a rule in it, it won't be politicized. Logic. <laughs> Very logical. And again, we also saw this during the uh, Challenge Cup last year. <laughs> where, where, where you had a certain number of players kneel, and then you had a couple other players stand. So, yeah, it comes down to maybe we shouldn't politicize this, and the message is lost. This was originally because of started by Colin Kaepernick to protest police brutality, and then some people took it, took took that, and ran with their own narrative and. Do it with, with it as you will. It has just gotten lost in translation, honestly. And so, yeah. If <laughs> again, we're, I'm not very good at, 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 at eloquating this, but you know, we wouldn't have these kinds of rules if people did weren't so butthurt about someone kneeling down to protest police brutality in the first place. Yeah. One of those. <laughs> oh, boy. So we said we we're taking this by piecemeal. So during the discussion about repealing this policy, uh, Seth Jean. Who? <laughs> Seth Jean, who is a former U.S. military veteran and captain of the U.S. soccer's seven-a-side Paralympic team, who is on the Athletes' Council, went on a seven-minute-long statement Uh showing his discontent on removing the policy. I'm not going to read that. Reading is hard. <laughs> I know how to read, but seven minutes, no. But just the overall themes that he discussed included the following, uh, saying that, quote, there's relatively no data to substantiate, unquote, br police brutality. I want to know where he gets that from saying several false assurances, uh, uh, making claims about slavery in America, saying everybody's been enslaved, 
Sure. White supremacist rhetoric. Um, this part is from Stars and Stripes FC. Um, their recap. Um, John said white supremacist rhetoric that claimed everything from being no data for police brutality, as stated earlier, uh, against black people. Um, minimizing black slavery. He did do that by saying everybody was enslaved. And he basically tried to say nothing to see here, people. Like, you're making a mohel out of nothing. This policy needs to stay. We need to honor the flag. Um, U.S. soccer attempted during the seven-minute uh, statement to stop him by saying 30 seconds more. Uh, you have 30 seconds left, but he spoke. Want the whole speech. The audio clip is available. U.S. Soccer has made the whole meeting available. If that's something you're interested in, you want to hear people talk, you are free to do so. Um, the Guardian posted the full speech in its entirety, not the audio version, but the written version on Twitter as well as in their article. Afterwards, President Cindy Parlo Cohn said, look, I support the decision. Uh, this isn't about disrespecting the flag or the military. It is about our athletes and it's their rights to peacefully protest. Um, obviously, John's comments blew up social media, just went everywhere. Everyone, U.S. soccer and members of the Athletic Council, which John is a member of, uh, condemned his words. Before we talk about his statement this morning about what people thought of his words, Mario, your thoughts on Mr. John's language and just overall how people responded to it. So my first response to this, and pardon my French when I when I say this, who the fuck was this guy? Who the fuck is this guy? I don't, again, pardon my French there. It was, oh man, it, it's wild to me that you would actually go up there seven minutes and just spew things that weren't factual. And for me, the part that gets to me is, why would you do that? And not only that, you pretty much gave zero fat, just pretty much just said anything you picked up out of a QAnon article, to be honest with you, because that is, again, that, that that's the wild part to me. And I, but I apologize if I can't eloquate what I have to say. What I want to say is just that, A, it's kind of infuriating. And B, I don't know who you are, sir. I didn't know who you were until you decided to come up with this yesterday. And it's just wild that you decided to go, oh, how dare you? How dare you have these policies to not stand for the flag and blah, blah, blah. And that police brutality is a myth, essentially. And boy, did you, not only was this a reach, you swung and missed for the fence completely. You pulled an Aubrey Huff. Nobody pulls a full Aubrey Huff here. What's wrong with you? And not only that, you're not the only person in soccer that decided to piss the world off by saying, stop politicizing things. Zlatan Ibrahimovic said something, but that's neither here nor there. And boy, you you managed to piss the wrong people off. You pissed off Oguchi Onyewu, a man that stared down the soul of Hared Borghetti and beat up Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Come on, man. What's wrong with you? Allegedly. Allegedly. Thank you. <laughs> it's just wild to me that you just went up there for seven minutes and spewed a whole QAnon speech. It amazes me. All I'm going to say is, matter of fact, this is Mr. John's response. Um he said he did not apologize for his statements. He gave us a, basically a non-apology. It was an apology, not I'm apologizing, but I'm not apologizing. Uh, he did not apologize for his statements. He said he has, this is the part where I'm going to get to in a second. He said he has received overwhelming support from a number of people within the Federation compared to the 30-plus death threats he's also received. He does not believe he said anything racist. He did apologize for the statement that he believed a small percentage of people in our country. Uh, he said, quote, a small percentage of people in our country who are responsible for terror, uh, the terrors of slaves, of slavery 100 years ago, which 
is not true. And he acknowledged over 400,000 people died to abolish uh, slavery under our our nation's flag. Quote, I was no way trying to minimize the forays of slavery. I was simply illuminating the misplaced rage and squander opportunities to bring in light to the millions of people who are enslaved today at any point, more than any point today. Based on his rhetoric, I do not believe he's talking about the uh, the labor who, you know, cropped the American fields in Los Angeles. I think he's talking about the Chiquito workers who cut the bananas. I don't think he's talking about them either. Um, I think he is, uh, you know, to echo your statement, I think he is not preaching to any choir. He has no knowledge of what he speaks of. He needs to speak. I don't know the Paralympic team. I really don't. I'm not one of these people that, you know, maybe I should be more informed of the Paralympic team, but I do believe he needs to speak as a military man. He needs to reach out as, you know, Colin Kaepernick's teammate, reach it out to him. Why not reach out to these athletes who feel enraged and anger? You know, one of the things that made me appreciate Ben Olsen was during these riots, he organized a talk in a chat and he said, I sat there and I listened. He organized a chat for them to talk about the, what was going on in the summer with these protests for, uh, you know, black lives and black lives matter. But he said, I, I had to shut up and listen. And I think sometimes people like Mr. John don't want to hear that. Instead, they want to stick to what feels comfortable. And the sad reality is we've all been uncomfortable. You need to be uncomfortable so you can understand other people's pain. That's the point. The United States has done a terrible job at revisiting history, seeing what was wrong, and how to improve. You know, and, you know, I can't say it better than that. This country and this is proof of that. The fact that Mr. John has received support within the Federation. You would think the Federation has learned from previous mistakes, from bringing similar people onto its board, bringing people on as its owners for their MLS teams, just in general, or, or its NWSL Hell, teams. Their previous president, Carlos Cordero, had to resign because he said something stupid. Exactly. So you would think that, well, it's not even saying something stupid. What I'm saying is people with similar rhetoric, and I'm, can be he must learn to understand others you know i say that not every republican is the same people and this goes back to what i wanted to say we're not good at analyzing history and it kind of goes into what i want to say about kobe jones for those who don't know kobe jones was one of the people uh who was vying for that vice president spot he was winning on the first set of uh, of votes he had 45% of the vote, but you need to have 70, 70% or more to win. So he in the first after the first set of votes, he lost because he didn't have enough uh, of votes. Simple. Uh, who ended up becoming uh, vice president was Bill Taylor. Taylor is the president of the Idaho Youth Soccer Association. What did we say earlier? State associations have the power more than athletes have the power in U.S. soccer. Okay? We know that. Social media kept lighting up about this PragerU connection that Kobe Jones, and let's just speak now because Mario's going to agree with me when I say this. If you were in college between the years 2010 and 2016, you saw a PragerU ad and thought, whoa, that's cool. And then you realize what it really was about, and you said, oh, crap. PragerU, for those who don't know, is an online uh, school-slash-tutoring-slash-university designed to give off certain messaging, and it gives off a lot of right-wing messaging that's racist and very conservative in its approach. Kobe Jones did a couple of videos about soccer for PragerU, to this day, people keep connecting Kobe Jones as a racist because he worked 
for Prager U in 2014-2016. No one reviewed his platform for vice president where he condemned people hating kneeling and accepted it accepted repealing the policy to allow athletes to kneel that's what we wanted but because we as a nation don't read don't don't study don't look and don't read and don't reevaluate history we just say well he we're going to cancel him out anyway that's not how you should quote cancel people if they continue to do the same actions then you cancel kobe jones did that one thing probably for money i don't know he still has never addressed it i think he's embarrassed to say he did it for money he did it because the fact that he hasn't addressed it set spells and smells like he did it for money. But people keep latching that on to him that we didn't even look at his own platform. We didn't look at his own thing. And so we're overanalyzing John's racist rhetoric, but not going through the fact that U.S. soccer has failed, failed, failed time again. And now we'll enter... 2021 and 2022 without one black representative on its board. That is what we should be looking at going forward. John said what he said. More than likely, the athletes will vote him out of the council. Good riddance. They don't need to be like-minded. They just can't be stupid. That's that, I think that should be going forward what qualifies you to be a member of this board you you don't you could be a republican be a part of the board just don't be stupid don't say things about slavery that aren't true slavery in america should be treated the same way the world sees world war ii as or as a, or how germany treats treats the holocaust because they go they revisited that history and went to the horse <clears throat> sorry went through the hor and relived like the horrors. They don't sugarcoat anything. Here, what I feel like when it comes to US and its own history, they like to sugarcoat things. You can't sugarcoat certain things that happen in your country. You have to address it. Yeah, it's gonna make you feel uncomfortable, but you gotta address these things. You can't dance around it or sugarcoat it and think that everything's everything was peaches and roses. No, it wasn't. And, you know, we never learn. And you are right. We don't have any black representation on the U.S. soccer board. It also feels like U.S. soccer doesn't really read the room when it comes to that. And so it, it leads to these kinds of things. And picking backing back on Prager U, yeah, I remember that because somebody tried to recruit, recruit me to work for them once. Right. Think this isn't. I, I, look, Twitter, listen to me when I tell you. Sometimes you're a great engine, but sometimes you're terrible You because your platform is instantaneous thoughts, instantaneous method. You don't have to send that tweet. Go read. <laughs> like, everybody assuming, oh, well, he didn't get it because of that PragerU connection. I can guarantee you that's not the reason he didn't get it. He didn't get it because the state associations have this power. They had two guys that were state association guys. When one of them went down, the majority were like, well, it's either Kobe Jones or my guy. I'm going to vote my guy. Right. It's not too – it's not far-fetched. Let's go back to the U.S. soccer presidential elections. Mm -hmm. There was a gentleman that was running that was the head of the, of the New York State so Youth Soccer Commission, and he had been in that seat of power since the 80s. So, yeah, so state soccer associations in this country wield a lot of power. If we're going to put it in political terms, it's like a um, it's like the NRA. It's a small group. It's a small association, but they wield a great amount of power. Again, it's the best comparison I could come up with in, in those circumstances. But, yeah, well, well, it's like how the NRA has its members. 
and its members are the state association soccer federations. And they, the NRA says, you vote for this guy to be president of the United States, and its association members will follow. That's what to make your comparison a little better. You know, they're going to stay with their guy. That just made sense. And so the fact, and for those who don't know, well, how can they address this race problem? One of the ways is giving the athletes more power because the athletes council is mixed in with obviously women, but also Latino men, black men, retired black athletes, minority um, and obviously Paralympic <laughs> Paralympic members <laughs> and football players and things like that. But they know how to, in their eyes, they know because they're in the system. There is conversation for them to join the rest of the U- U.S. Soccer Olympic Committee that gives the players 50% power. That vote has been tabled for the fall. And that is something you need to keep an eye on if you're really concerned about U.S. soccer and if it's going too right or too left or not get or looking not like the country. Because at the end of the day, that's what worries me. Too much of U.S. soccer focus is on how can we get more kids playing grass games when we have kids, but they're not reaching out to kids in Arkansas, in Nevada, in, you know. Uh, you know, name any middle central state in the in the union, but they also are lacking in terms of outreach in the urban settings. Atlanta has had to do its own work in putting, you know, football fields essentially or street soccer fields in their subway stations. That should be something U.S. soccer works together with these clubs in doing. So. You want to improve your outreach. You want to improve the 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 look of your constituents. U.S. Soccer. How about you work with the people in your constituents? Like they keep saying, "Oh, we support our state associations." Correct me if I'm wrong. I rarely see some of these people that are in charge of my association ever do anything for U.S. Soccer. I rarely see the member in charge of Maryland or D.C. and what they're doing currently. For our city, let alone, or our state, let alone what they're doing for U.S. soccer. So U.S. soccer, if you want more makeup to look like your country, how about give the players more power? Because they look more like our country than you do. And maybe more of those black minority candidates will get it, or or black or minority people will get more of a look because the player approval we have players who would understand their plights better than you in your beautiful castle house in in Illinois. Right, and I think that that's the one part that that makes this a little bit more infuriating is your you have all these di- you the U.S. is a melting pot. You've got all these diverse people, but your federation still looks the same. So. We're, we're being nice. It's white as hell, and it reminds us both of those private school soccer teams that had all these white players, one black player, and what do these parents... And then what ends up happening is they want to play with flair. They want to play with style. They keep, they keep saying that, but you got all of the same player. U.S. soccer. It wants to be diverse. It wants to be more equitable for people. Hires no black people or Hispanic people to be on its board. You can't say something and not follow through. You can't. You can't half-ass this. That, that that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that we're done w- of working here. So <laughs> we're gonna stop talking and uh, end this podcast. Uh, this is weird uh, doing this on a Sunday, but more relaxing. But in any yeah. event, <laughs> Mario, tell the people <laughs> where they can find more information about you. All right. If you want to find me on on Twitter, on if you want to find out what I'm doing in life or how Or you want I, to cancel him. <laughs> or if you want to cancel me. Or if you want to figure out my home remedies on how to fix your voice, 
Follow me on Twitter at Mario Amaya One. You can also find my one-on-one interview with Hernan Mosada that I did for El Tiempo Latino. Yeah, that's right. Home, your homeboy over here got to interview DC United's new head coach. You can check that out on El Tiempo Latino, on El Tiempo Latino's Facebook page, on their Instagram, and you can also find the sort the piece that goes along with this interview on El Tiempo Latino, which you can also follow on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino. Or El Tiempo, you could go on the website, eltiempolatino.com. Or if you absolutely need a physical newspaper, you could go find them at your local metro station. Wow, that was the longest plug ever. Jesus Christ, could you have at least reminded the public that it's in Spanish? So that if they go looking for it, it's in Espanol, not English. And that's why he's not on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, well, what can I do? I'm I'm bilingual, baby. Okay. Well, in any of I'm kidding, but yeah, you can. T- it is in Spanish, so if you need help translate, if you need to help translate, definitely fi- find the yes. You could definitely hit me up on Twitter then as well. Any event, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Omanya for more. And you can also follow Sports Pulse at sportspulse.com. Special shout out, as always, to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro music. Remember, rate and subscribe, as always, on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast. We thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Adios. Adios.